Well, good morning, church. Well, it's good to be with you uh, this morning. Last week, I was in Colorado and got the chance to speak at the place I'd come from, and it was some good closure as they're starting to almost step into their new process with a new preaching minister, and so it's great to be there, but this is home, and we are so glad to be back with you today. Well, over the next two weeks, we are going to begin a process of elder selection at this church. And every time that comes up, there's this sense of, you know, who is God going to be calling to this step in our process next? Who would be the the leaders that God is calling? We certainly want you to be praying about those things. We're going to have a time of fasting that we'll announce next week associated with this process. We need God to lead this process because we can't do it ourselves, right? So over the next two weeks, I want to talk about what does it mean to be kingdom leaders? How do we choose kingdom leaders? But this is not just about uh, you know, choosing elders who can do that. This is also uh, about being the kind of leaders ourselves, no matter where we find ourselves, that if you influence people, you're a leader. Whether that's in your place of business, whether that's as a family, uh, whether that's just, it, it could be in any segment of our society. If you are influencing people, you're a leader. And we need to acknowledge that and try to lead in a way that God has taught us to lead. And so I want to engage in a conversation with you. When I say a conversation... You know, lots of you probably think, yeah, we hear preachers say that all the time, but you just keep preaching at us, right? I really do want to begin a conversation that this would go on to our small groups, our connecting point groups, that this would be a conversation that I can have with hopefully dozens of you to think about who would this be that would be the, the leaders that God, God calls here next to help lead this congregation. Uh, so we're going to talk about that over the next two weeks from the pulpit, but I hope to have lots of conversations with you all because the truth is culture often informs our leadership, sometimes more than Scripture does. And often in church processes like this, we tend to look toward principles the culture gives us about leadership, but we have a host of things that Scripture provides to us to guide us in this process of discernment. And often we've gone to Timothy and Titus for for those conversations, and certainly those are conversation partners in this over the next two weeks. But I also want us to look at the Gospels. I want us to look at the life of Jesus. I want us to look at how all of Scripture would talk about leadership and how we choose those important leaders. And we have some really important decisions coming up over the next two uh, weeks, but even longer than that. We have two search processes that are underway right now looking for the next student minister at this church, looking for another children's minister. So we would covet your prayers as we pray together about who God would lead to us. But it's not just those processes. Leadership in terms of eldership is is vital as well. So as we begin these processes, I'd like to ask you to be in prayer about this. Well, let's start that even right now, that God would lead us in the right direction when it comes to the kind of leaders that we call. God, this morning, I just ask that you would speak through me this morning to remind us what it means to be kingdom leaders. God, there are people in this room right now that influence hundreds, even thousands of people, God, around this world. And I, don't, I take that ha- task humbly to think about that fact that there are people here that tomorrow will, will go out and will impact our city, that will impact around our country, even internationally. There are people that are traveling all around. And God, it is your good news, it is your good will that we would gather all of those people, people as diverse as we are to this place so that our imaginations about leadership wouldn't be foremost by leaders in Washington or by leaders in Silicon Valley, but it would be led by your scripture and by your word. God, your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, and so we ask today it would serve as that again. This morning I pray you would pour through me the gift of preaching, so that Christ would be formed in hearts. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone said, Amen.
When we come to an elder selection process, we have to admit there are lots of things that influence the way we think about this kind of process and about selecting leaders. Because ever since the very beginning, when God's people have tried to select leaders, they've looked to the culture around them sometimes in unhealthy ways to look at how we're to select leaders. And I think we'd be foolish not to admit that in our country, the way that we do politics impacts the way we think about leadership in the church. Because we look around us, and that's the way things work. And so when you think about the American system, there's a lot of good things about it, right? I mean, when you think about the way we have done this versus so many in the past, I think we've taken some steps forward. But to think about uh, our politicians as representatives of uh, an agenda or opinions for a base that they then take to a larger body of people to decide, that's not exactly how life in the kingdom should work. But sometimes that's how our view of elders has worked. That we've got an opinion that needs to be shared in a larger group. And if we could get someone as a representative for our agenda, then we'd have the right leaders in place. And I I know I've been guilty of that before, thinking, you know, how can I get the right voice in the room? But that is not how Scripture points us the way to do that. So I want to share with you some ideas from Scripture to say that's not uncommon for us to look at the culture around us. But when God's people have done that, it hasn't turned out well in the end. If you have your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to open to the book of 1 Samuel. Chapter 8 is where I'd like to to look at a story where Israel's looking at selecting leaders. The story of 1 Samuel, uh, the people of God have come into the promised land. Joshua was their leader that God had called. And then we come to the book of Judges, and there are other leaders that are leading the people of Israel. And these judges aren't exactly following God all the way through. That's a, that book is a struggle, a cycle of sin, and then coming back to God with a new leader who steps up, and then they fall back into sin. But finally, in the book of 1 Samuel, there's this guy named Samuel, who's a prophet of God that's leading the people of Israel. And he's done a great job for the most part, but when it comes time for him that he's getting older, and people are looking at his sons and wondering, are these the guys really that are going to lead us into the next phase of Israel's journey, there begin to come some questions. And the people of Israel say, we want a king. We don't want your sons to lead us. In fact, let's pick up the story in in 1 Samuel chapter 8. I'll begin reading in verse 5. It says there, they said to him, to Samuel, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. So you see what's happening in Israel, right? They've entered into the promised land. God has freed them from slavery. They're now on their own. God's given them many commands to follow. But what's the first thing they do when they're looking for a leader? They look around them to see what all the other nations are doing. And they see that they have visible kings who are leading them into battle. They have all these leaders that are there. So maybe if we act like all the other nations, then we'll be established like all these other nations. The problem is that Yahweh had been their king all along. So as we read the story as it continues on, uh, they're rejecting someone as they're asking for a human king. Let's keep reading in verse 7. And the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them. But warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. 
So they ask for a king, and, and God says, look, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. I've been their king. Yahweh is king. And now they're looking at all the other nations. But here's the problem. When you look at all the other nations, there may be good things, but there's some bad things that go along with having a king too. And God says, look, if you want to do this, that's fine. That's your decision. But this is what will come as a result of this decision. So before you say yes, before you sign on the dotted line, let me tell you what's going to happen. And this is what he says in the verses that follows. The king will reign over you. The king will reign over you. This is how kings work, right? They reign over people. There's an authority, a title, a position, a throne that they reign on. And they're in control of everything. And so if you pick a king, that's fine, but you've got to know this king's going to have power over you. And I'm going to come back to that idea of power over because I think kingdom leaders are supposed to lead in a different way. But he says the king is going to reign over you. What else does he say? He says, your sons, he will draft your sons into his army and they're going to end up dying on the battlefield. So that's one drawback. Now, I'll just see if you see anything connected with modern times with some of these things that God says is going to happen. And then he says, your daughters, God, uh, this king is going to draft them into service in, in, in his kingdom. Some might end up in harems. Some might end up as servants in different ways. So your sons are going to be taken. Your, your daughters are going to be taken. And if those don't sound like modern day, then maybe this will remind you. He's going to tax your property and income. Like, this is what kings do, right? When, when people have power over, they need resources that they can have. And so now, not only are you going to give up your, your, your money to God, throwing parties, taking care of the poor in your land, taking care of the Levites, now that king's going to charge you on top of all of that. It's not going to be good. So you make the decision. That's what's going to happen. And at the end, he says, and this is what you're going to do. <laughs> One day you're going to come back to me, and you're going to beg me that you don't have a king anymore because he's going to do all these things to you. And when you cry out to me, I will not hear you. Because you made your decision and you knew what would happen. And you know what the people say after all this? I don't know what your thought would be. This is what they say. Verse 19. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said. We want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered, listen to them. And give them a king. Now this is a huge turning point in the people of Israel. This is one of those key chapters in all of Scripture that we have to look back to. Because when we come to select leaders, sometimes it looks like this. And God says, yeah, I'm your king. I know the best way to do all this. But if you want to go your own way, if you want to look like all the other nations, are you sure you really want that? Because all the other nations might have an army, but in the the end, I was the one who was fighting for you. That's what God was doing all through the promised land. He brought them to a great place. See, sometimes you say you want something until you get it. Or maybe another way to say that. Sometimes the worst thing God can give you is what you want. In Romans chapter 1, you've read that passage before, right? He's talking about the pagans in Rome and what they do. and He says God handed them over to their shameful lusts. And there are times in our lives where we think we want something. And God says, sure, you can have it, but it's actually the worst thing we could possibly receive. It's careful. We ought to be careful with our prayers sometimes. Because we think we know what's best. We think we know how to run the world. But we get the things we want, and then we wonder, should we have really gotten the things we asked for in the first place? Reminds me of a story in middle school. I was uh, just moved from San Diego to Dallas, and so I was having you know, that whole problem of middle school in general. And then you're trying to find friends in this process. So this kid invited me over for... Uh, to, for the afternoon after school to play video games, do what middle school boys do and all that kind of stuff, running around the neighborhood 
Well, at some point it came dinner time, and his mom said, hey, would you like to stay for dinner, Colin? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. Now I get to meet his parents too, you know. So, so I'm at the dinner table, and, and she, before we get there, she says, now what do you like? I mean, I'll, I'll make whatever you, it is you'd like. And I said, well, I, it's no problem, whatever you want to make. And she said, well, vegetables, what kind of vegetables? I said, I love corn. And she goes, well, do you love okra? And I said, I love okra. I grew up going to cafeterias growing up, right? And if you've been to a cafeteria, you love okra. Uh, and so I, I, I was so excited about this. I'm thinking, man, this is great. And, and then I come to the table, and I see the corn. It's yellow. And then I see the okra, and it's not the right color. You know where I'm going with this? Because all I'd ever know was fried okra, and this was not fried okra. This was that slimy green stuff. And I looked at it, and I go, this is not what I asked for. See, sometimes we ask for things, and we don't know what we're getting. When I look at the story in 1 Samuel 8, this is exactly what I want to share with us this morning is be careful what you ask for because you might just get it. It's important for us to be people who are looking for leaders that God desires, not people we desire. Which brings me to a different story in Mark chapter 10 in the Gospels. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open to Mark 10. In Mark chapter 10, in fact in chapter 8, Jesus begins to tell his disciples where he's going. He's done all these great miracles and preached all these great sermons, but now he comes to them and says, look, I'm headed to Jerusalem, and I'm going to end up dying on a cross, and three days later I'm going to be risen, but this may not be what you're looking for. Are you sure you're going to be with me on the journey? And along the way in chapter 10, these disciples just don't get it. This is the third time that Jesus is telling them what he's going to do, and they still don't seem to get it. And this is what we read in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 35, right after Jesus has told them again, this is what I'm doing. It says this in Mark uh, ten thirty five. Again, this is James and John, two of Jesus' closest disciples. And this is what they say. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, anybody who's ever been in charge of anyone else, you're careful not to just answer that question like, sure, whatever you ask, right? I mean, there was a story earlier in the Gospels where uh, John the Baptist is in prison and, and Herod and Herodias, the daughter's there, and there's this whole scene where she dances, and, and the king's pleased. It's kind of this really messed up story, right? But in the end, he says, hey, I'll give you up to half the kingdom anything you ask. That's not a, a wise leader, right? And Jesus is not like that. They say, do for us whatever we ask. And he says, hold on, let, verse 36. What do you want me to do for you, right? If you're a parent, you've asked this question before, right? Your kids know how to get beneath you and ask for whatever they want. You're like, no, you ask the exact demand that you want. Jesus isn't stupid. He knows not to promise James and John everything. And this is what happens in verse 37. They reply, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? James and John asked to sit at Jesus' right and his left. I want you to think about this for a moment. What do you think they could be thinking of when they ask for this request? Maybe they're thinking about one day in heaven where Jesus, you know where Jesus sits today, right? Scripture talks about this. He sits at the right hand of the Father. Now think about how bold an ask that is to sit at Jesus' right and his left. One of them's asking to sit between God the Father and Jesus the Son. That's a bold ask. But maybe that's not what they're asking for. Maybe they're asking... Jesus, when you finally attain the earthly kingdom, you're sure to set up, right? Maybe uh, that day, maybe when you finally do this, then we'll have 
places of command at your right and your left. We'll be leaders beside you. After all, these had been two disciples that had walked along the whole journey. Maybe when Jesus is the military commander sitting on the throne, they'll get to be on the you know, cabinet of some kind. But as the story goes on, we find out that uh, what they think they're asking for isn't exactly what they're asking for. Because if it's not the spot between Jesus and the Father in heaven, and if it's not the spot on this earthly kingdom, because that's what Jesus was never really about, where's Jesus' glory? It's on the cross. They think they're asking for positions of power, but what they don't know they're asking is a place on the cross beside Jesus. Basically to fill the spots of the criminals. See, sometimes we ask for something, and what we don't realize is what we're asking for is not what we want. And Jesus says that. He says, you don't know what you're asking. Let's keep reading verse 39. We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. When the ten heard this, they became indignant with James and John. Now, you can imagine this story, right? You've got these other disciples that are listening in. And James and John, I'm sure, were kind of going over in the corner asking for this. But they overhear it. And they're not like full of righteous indignation saying, who are you to ask Jesus for such things? They want a part of it, right? So they're indignant that these guys would get ahead of them in line to ask for these positions of power. And Jesus says, you guys don't get it. And this is what he says. And if there's nothing else I can leave you with this morning as we begin this process of selecting elders Maybe these are the verses that you sit with this week, that you have conversations in your connecting point groups this week, because I think this is key to kingdom leadership and what it means to choose kingdom leaders. Jesus calls them together, knowing what they all want. (laughs) And he says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, James and John don't get it, but neither do the rest of those disciples. And I'm afraid so often we don't either, do we? Because we're so used to looking around us and looking at people grab for power and for control and for authority. And we think the only way we're going to influence this world is if we get to a position of power. But Jesus says, look, greatness in the kingdom does not happen through a title. It does not happen through a corner office. It does not happen through the security of finances that will bless you for the rest of your life. Greatness in the kingdom comes from service done to others. That's how influence happens. And we get this backwards sometimes, but this is the way Jesus taught us and he modeled for us and he commands for us to live out as well. Because there are so many leaders out there that will command power over, aren't there? We see this all the time. We're about to vote on this in another couple of years, right? It's about how do we get the right people in power? And Jesus says, you know, the the rulers of the pagans, the Gentiles, they all worry about that stuff. And it seems like you guys are real concerned about it as well. But if you want to lead in the kingdom... It means you don't know what you're asking for. It means a cross, not a throne. So when we select leaders, sometimes we go about this wrong, don't we? We think about those who have positions of influence. We think about those business leaders that have lots of money and know how to handle it. There's nothing wrong with having those things. The question, though, underneath that is not, do you have power and influence? The question is, are you a servant? It's willing to lay your life down on behalf of others. So when you go to write these names down this week and in the following week, I want you to think about this. 
Not for those who, who lord it over. No, 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 no. In the kingdom of God, we don't influence things that way. In the kingdom of God, we influence through service, through laying down our lives. We follow the model of Jesus. In the words of Jesus, not so with you. Not in the kingdom of God. That's not how it goes. And we always get in trouble in the kingdom of God when we start to try to lead that way, when we try to influence through position, through title, through a position of some kind. Um, some of you need to think through this in your business right now. Because, man, you're waiting to get to the corner office. You're waiting to finally climb the ladder to this place. But do you always respect the people who've been in that office before? Does that title automatically give you influence? But no, it's actually the people who, who serve, the people who care deeply about you. Those people who know your name when you're at the bottom. That's what matters in those things, not having this title. And this morning, I wanted to invite a couple of kingdom leaders up here uh, to, to have a conversation with me for just a few minutes. Caleb and Jenny Beck, if you all would, would come on up. Caleb and Jenny are missionaries in Rwanda. And uh, they've come, and they're on furlough right now, and so I've invited them to have a conversation about this because as they've gone to establish themselves as missionaries, they had an opportunity to go in as the you know, white people from America and come in, and they could have chosen that way, to choose power is the way it happens. But this is a country that's known power over, right? If you know the story of Rwanda, you know about the genocide and about this warfare and trying to establish yourselves through power and violence, and it has shown a certain way. And so trying to walk in as missionaries with a country that's known that kind of life, I, I just thought it would be nice to, to invite you all up and kind of ask your story a little bit. So one of the things I wanted to ask was, oh, microphone, that would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. I wanted to ask you all, how, how did, you know, you come into this country that you know this history of, right? And you come in with the ability to influence in whatever way you want to. How did you seek to kind of find a place of service? How did you establish relationships when you first arrived on the ground? Uh, when we first got there, our, um, we didn't really have much of a support network. Like the team that we were supposed to, lead, supposed to go into didn't kind of split real fast. And so we found ourselves there without um, expat, without American, with other Americans and stuff. So we ended up having to make relationships with Rwandans really fast, whether we like it or not, and getting our social needs and our spiritual needs met through them. And I think that helped us bond them. Um, language and just finding ourselves in that place of vulnerability, I think, um, was a huge, was a huge blessing, actually. What about you, Jenny? Um, you kind of mentioned it earlier, but when you move into a foreign country, when we went into Rwanda, you know, we obviously came in, um, as Americans and, you know, as you pointed out, we stick out just a little bit as white Americans over in a foreign country and be, as Americans, we already, in a, in a culture where you have status, we're automatically kind of placed at a higher status. Um, and so for us being able to come in and go into people's homes and eat with people and go sleep in their homes, and sometimes that meant sleeping on the floor, um, sometimes the food, there's no telling what you're being, what we're being served. So, you know, we've said lots of prayers, God, please don't let us get sick. You know, God, please let us hold this down. Um, but, uh, I think, you know, in missions and, and everything we talk about, you can go in and do missions and do service to somebody, or you can go in and do missions and service with somebody. Mm. Um, and so one of the things that's been real important for us is trying to go in and, and work with people um, and being with people. And we think that that's uh, helped set up a platform for us to, uh, you know, to, to not ever be above somebody. We're always with our people. 
Um, sometimes that also means, you know, we're going out and we're hoeing out in the villages with them. And, uh, but that puts you with them. And uh, so anyway, that's where, that's kind of where we've done that. Yeah, I love that. That's not a prayer I've prayed very often to keep the food down, right? And we pray for God to bless the food, and it's a whole other thing, right? And sometimes wonder nutritionally, can he bless this, right? But uh, one of the stories is in Luke chapter 10 that I, I talked with Caleb about. It's been, I think, formational for you all as a mission team. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 72, uh, not just the 12, right? There's this other group that he sends out. He says, go out without purse bag or sandals, like nothing on you. Just go out there and find people of peace and pronounce that the kingdom of God has come near. Eat what's set before you. And I love that model that says, I mean, you really don't have an option, I guess, in a way, but you do, right? I mean, you can choose to do it and kind of coming over people or coming with them. I love that language. One question I wanted to ask, too, is um, think about a story. Uh, this is the question I asked you earlier in the week. What, what's a story that you could tell uh, about power under, kind of the service mentality that may have made an impact and how people have received you there and how you found I, influence? Yeah, there, we, there are lots of, lots of stories. Um, but when you asked, we were talking earlier this week, the thing that just kind of came popped in my mind immediately was when we first started ministry, which we started working with um, Genocide Orphans, the ministry that we've been a part of. Um, and so we met a young man named Charles Cabeza, an amazing young man. And he, he himself is an orphan of the genocide, and he wanted to go and um, serve other orphans of the genocide. And so there, he wanted to go and visit these child-headed households. So it was like t- teenage um, teenage survivors, te- teenage orphans who are all living together, and they have, you know, they vote among themselves a mother and a father, and, you know, he wanted to go out and visit them, and he, he had selected this place that was, like, really hard hit in 94, which is 42 kilometers from um, the, the main road, and which, so it meant, it was, you know, 42 kilometers away, so I was asked, I was like, Charles, you know, what can we do, can we help, should we come, how, you know, and he, uh, he said, no, you, you know, you need to wait, because, you know, you bring expectations of, let me go, and it's like, well, let, can I help you with transport, et cetera? He's like, no, no, no. It's like, you know, I, I need to do this by foot because these guys that we're going to serve, they also, they can't come to where we are with, um, via transport. And um, in 94, post-94, Rwanda was the poorest country in the world. So there's lots of people, lots of charities, lots of aid organizations that have come in and help people which bring, with power, if I can say that, um, uh, they, they've got uh, resources, and the, so they go in, and then they're offering opportunities and stuff. And so Charles wanted to do it differently, so he walked 42 kilometers with some a couple of other people. It happened to rain that day, so the people that he was going to visit, they had heard somebody's coming from Kigali. They didn't know what was happening. Well, Charles shows up on foot, you know, wet and muddy. Um, yeah, vulnerability, and but, but it makes me think of the Luke 10, and it really gave context and light to what what jesus was asking because when he when he showed up in that village and you know if you don't if you if you're told not to carry a coat and not to carry money um yeah you look like a poor man standing on the side you have to find someone who's got a peaceful heart to help you so he did that and that um yeah that i I think that's just been kind of the model and that that was the model in the beginning of of how we rethought what it means to to influence and do things um, uh, this is just a, a way that we've kind of experienced it is, I don't know how many of you guys know, the last two years we built a small little house that's kind of out in this village area. And in uh, some of our talking about, you know, should we do this? How, how do we do this? We were reading in Jeremiah 29, and I don't know how familiar you are with that, but it's talking about how Israel... Um, is in captivity at this point in time. It's after diaspora, so they're they're all spread outside of their country, uh, 
you know, their home country. And um, so they're in captivity by the Babylonians. And the Lord comes and he says, build your house, plant your garden, have kids, let your kids get married, establish your, establish your life in this foreign country. Um, because your peace then is going to become their peace. And their peace is your peace. Uh, so whenever we built our house in this little village area, we have most certainly seen that, um, you know, we, we've tied a part of our lives, we've tied a part of our kids' lives to this area, and their peace definitely affects our peace, and our peace definitely affects them. When, when we moved into this village area, there was no water or electricity, and so we've been able to help bring water and electricity to all of our neighbors, and believe me, that's nice for us, and it's been nice for them. <laughs> um, but yeah, the stability of the area we're in, the crime in the area that we're in, it affects us just as much as it affects our neighbors. Uh, so being in that place of vulnerability and, um, yeah, believe me, we, we're a lot more concerned in our community now how safe it is and how mm. healthy the water is and, and what we can get out there. And, and another part of that passage, you know, he tells the Israelites, pray for the area that you're in. Um, and so, yeah, we've spent a lot more time praying um, about the air we're in because, man, it affects us directly. So, mm. yeah. Thank you all so much for the way you all are entering into that place. I think it teaches us so much. We're trying to discover how to become missionaries again here, I think, right? Realizing that we live in a large mission field ourselves. And so I think it's always helpful to hear from missionaries that are trying to learn. I mean, learning yourselves through this, right? But uh, give Caleb and Jenny a hand and uh, thank them so much. And after service, Caleb and Jenny will actually be near our Faith at Home Center if you want to greet them. And uh, they also have some things for sale that will bless the people of Rwanda. Uh, so to get to know more of their story, we'd love that. And uh, next year there's a mission trip, actually, that will be going to Rwanda. And so feel free to get in touch with Jerry, Donna, Taylor, um, or myself, and we'll let you know more about how to, to be a part of that. Well, I'm grateful for leaders like Caleb and Jenny. Because while we have a chance to come in through this kind of power over mentality to see that power under and the influence that's gained, to me that's the way of the cross. It's the way of Jesus that we've been taught. And Christianity has had its fair share of power over moments, haven't we? I mean, you can think about the Crusades and the Inquisition. In 94, Rwanda was the most Christian nation in Africa. And what's haunting about that, that there could be a genocide that within a month or two there's almost a million people killed probably over to think about that it helps you realize that our allegiance as kingdom leaders has to be first and foremost to the kingdom of God, not to the tribes that we inhabit. And that's what happened to the Hutus and Tutsis was that their tribal identity was more important than their identity as children of God. And sometimes it's easy for us to allow our identities or our allegiance to our city or to our country or to our race or to our nationality to let those things be more important than the gospel that says that water is thicker than blood. That the baptism that we've been involved in unites us more than any blood could unite us. And that's the vision of the kingdom that needs to be seen that's now being lived out in new ways in the country of Rwanda that we need as well. But as we enter into this time, and we're going to tell you in just a moment about how to get your nomination forms and begin that process as members here at Greenville Oaks, I want you to remember your story when you fill out these forms. Remember that we serve a, a, a Lord and Savior who was willing to come down to earth to humble himself, 
to die on a cross for us. He was willing to lay down his life and to live a life of self-sacrifice. And so when we choose leaders, we don't choose leaders based on title or significance in our community or any of those things the world might judge as important. Remember, in 1 Samuel 8 and Mark 10, we know how the leaders of the Gentiles do it. We know how the pagans do it. We know how people around us do it. But as people of the kingdom of God and choosing kingdom leaders, we choose people who are servants first. So when you choose for these roles, don't think about those that have built the best business. No, that's the worst thing we could do, probably. We need some people who have those kind of minds, but we don't choose them because of that. We choose them because they're servants. This helps us as a staff because we need to be reminded of this. That it's so easy to come in with title and education and say, listen to us because of what we've learned. I'm sorry, that's not how the kingdom works. The only reason that I should have any influence to speak into your lives is because we're living out an authentic life of discipleship and service in this place. And choosing leaders as elders that do that remind us to do the very same thing. But this is not just about those who are choosing leaders. This is also about all of you who are choosing leaders in your own area of influence. Like, are you, are you living a life that's about power over and seeking position? Or are you living a life that seeks influence through power under? Because I'll tell you, that's the most powerful influence there is. And I'm grateful for leaders in our country, in our nation, and around the world, in our own city that live out that kind of life before us. That is a kingdom kind of life. And it's the life that Jesus calls us to live. Are you with me this morning? So as we select these leaders, I'm excited about the message I'm going to give you next week. There's more to come in terms of some questions to consider through all this. But to those of you who desire to be elders, and that's not a bad thing. In fact, Scripture in 1 Timothy talks about this. Go to that passage if we can up there. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Here is a trustworthy saying, Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. So it's okay to desire to be a leader in this sense. That's what Scripture says. But to those of you who aspire to be an elder, let me say to you this morning, be careful what you ask for. I should be hearing more than one on that, right? Because when Jesus' disciples thought they were asking for glory, it wasn't exactly the most exciting role that they were going to encounter. It meant they were going to one day die as martyrs like Jesus did. And so when you sign up for this role, when you choose to go through the nomination process, when people see you as that shepherd, be careful what you ask for. And that's not to say, don't do this. We need more who will choose to do that. It's to say, you're choosing to sign up for a life of service and death to yourself. And if you're willing to do that, boy, we need more of you. And I'm excited to partner with you in the days to come. Let's pray together as we close our time in the Word. God, I thank you so much that you serve through people like Caleb and Jenny Beck. I thank you that you serve through missionaries across the world. I thank you that you serve in your church through leaders that do amazing uh, works of service. God, I thank you for leaders in our country, in our nation, in our areas of business, in our schools who lay down their lives every single day because they're Jesus people. And they realize that's their story and the story you've given to us. So God, for attorneys and for teachers, for for janitors and, and for moms and dads who do their work at home with their kids, for all of us who find ourselves in different avenues, God, we want to be kingdom leaders who serve first and find influence through that. God, humble us where we need to be humbled. I pray that especially of the leaders of this church, including myself. Humble us as we need to be humbled. May we be servants first. And I thank you for the opportunity to select new people who are already doing this, God, in our midst. 
I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning, church. I'm Greg Kaufman, one of the shepherds here. As uh, So thank you, caller. Amen. Amen. Uh, the process does begin today. The nomination process, phase one. And there are packets up front, one packet for each family. In that packet, you'll find a... Uh, a page of scriptures to refer to as you prayerfully consider nomination of men and in nomination form. Uh, in two weeks or by two weeks, uh, we would like for you to return these forms. Men whose names are on a third of the forms will be considered nominated. Uh, and then we'll go into a time of um, orientation for those men who choose to go through the process and then a time of confirmation later in the summer. I want to thank our selection committee who's organized this, Tommy Doan, John Harrington, and Jake Sanders. Thanks to them. And uh, they are available for questions as you have about the process. Uh, another thing I want to do this morning is to ask Matt Mazza and Kristen, if she's still here, to come forward, and our elders to come forward, please. Matt is beginning, um, has taken on the role of executive minister. Keith has served as admirably in that role for two years. He is moving into a body life role, and Matt is stepping up. Uh, we are very grateful for how he has served us in a variety of ways for the last several years, uh, but we are very fortunate to have him in the executive minister role. This is a role uh, with Colin and with three elders. He serves in the governance team, but also he uh, manages and leads the ministers and the staff at Greenville Oaks. This is a very important uh, thing for us, and we very much appreciate his service and want to ask God's blessings on him today in that place. Heavenly Father, thank you for Matt and Kristen. Thank you for bringing they and their family here for making him a part of Greenville Oaks and for the skills and gifts that you have given him in service that he applies here. I pray that you bless their family and that you bless Matt with wisdom, with increased skill, with guidance from a variety of ways, that you bless the staff as they work together that you cover them with your peace, your wisdom, so that your work can be done here and you can, through us, accomplish your will here at Greenville Oaks. Bless them in all the ways that we don't know how to ask. Heavenly Father, I ask that you bless the elder selection process that we're in. 
that you allow us to effectively identify those folks that you know are ready to be shepherds and elders here, that you allow, uh, you bless the congregation in finding and selecting those folks and blessing us in, in working together with them. Heavenly Father, I also ask that you be with Robinetta Harris as she, uh, having finished cancer treatment, uh, now tries to uh, work towards returning to the workforce. Give her strength, give her continued healing, prevent the cancer from ever returning to her. All the things, Lord, we're grateful to be able to come and ask you because you're our Father and you've loved us and you've made us yours. Allow us to become more like you and be yours forever. And in Jesus' name we ask it. And amen. Be standing now for our benediction as we close. I want to close with the words of Jesus that were read earlier in Mark chapter 10 as a blessing on you and a reminder to you of the way of service of Jesus. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. May it be so with you this week. May we love God. May we love people. May we serve others. Go in peace.